the Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and friends. the show this is episode 317 for tuesday the 17th of february 2015 my name is edwin herman here in the studio in wellington and just across the other side of the city over a skype link i am joined by my co-host brett king Howdy, hi hey it's good to have you back on the show once again Brett, I want to get straight into the stories because I'm really excited about this first story. It's about, and I don't know, if have you seen the announcement from HP about Sprout, their smart mat? Yep. Well, it's not a smart mat. The, the Sprout is a full, you know, desktop PC. Oh, the Sprout is the whole thing. Sorry. Yes, you're right. But it yeah. uses a smart, sorry, absolutely. Thank you for the correction. Uh, Sprout is the latest uh, PC, which uses, which com- comes with, I think, actually, doesn't it? A smart mat. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do we describe a smart mat on an audio podcast? Because I, I think the best way is to watch a video. Well, I think it's quite easy to describe this because it's not just the mat. It's the, the whole set of gear together, which gives it its smart mm. capabilities. It is basically a big touch-sensitive mat or touch-sensitive flat surface that sticks out in front of the all-in-one PC. Well, your uh, keyboard that is quite be, traditional right? from HP desktop PCs these days. All-in-one things. Everything's been built in behind the monitor. And you've got this pad that sticks out in front. It's quite large, like probably, it's probably about the size of one of the large Wacom tablets. And it takes the place of where the keyboard would be. And then sitting out over top of the monitor PC is an arm which has a 3D camera in it. And that looks down at the map and also has lights and things in it as well to illuminate the map and to project uh, effectively projects onto yeah. the map. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So give us an example of some of the things you could use this for. All kinds of things. If you were a designer or a, a graphic artist, you could use it in place of the traditional Wacom sort of tablet or their professional version tablets, which also have built-in screens. You can see what you're doing. This one, you can also see what you're doing, but it's projected downwards. So still it has the issue of your hand getting in the way, obviously, but um, you would be able to do things like that because it's got a camera in it. They've had demonstrations of, you know, putting objects onto the mat and then having the camera take photos of it or have the camera and the lights do some cool math to work out 3D dimensions of the object that is put on there and incorporate that into, you know, a 3D modeling program and put that in. Uh, Also just take the pictures of whatever you've put on there and then reproject them back onto it. Um, And what about using it as a keyboard itself? You can do that, can't you? It can project a keyboard? Well, yeah, because it just projects a keyboard onto the mat and then detects where you touch the mat because it's a touch-sensitive surface, and correlates with where it's projecting the A key, and so it generates an A. 
Now, there's an era. It's not the first that, to do something like that. Sure. Yeah. Either there have been projection keyboards around for oh yeah for years. Yeah. Uh, they're just not mainstream because they're they don't have the sort of tactile feedback that people want mm. when they're typing. Now, Brett, there's an era of um, sort of almost DIY, crazy inventor, you know, developed in a shed kind of thing aspect to this whole thing. Yeah. But, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? It, it and it really, does look kind of dorky. Yeah. So the question is, will it, is this going to be, is this going to revolutionise the way no. we think of PCs? No, you don't. You no. don't think so. No, I think it's. I think it's got uh, potential in in quite a number of niche markets, um, but I don't think it's going to be the thing which replaces your keyboard and mouse. So, keyboard and mouse still has a place in the PC world. Yeah, there are so many things that you'd be able to do with a keyboard and mouse, which would be more cumbersome to do with the system that they've got. And and I don't mean gaming. Like aside from gaming, the productivity wise, you'd say yeah. you'd say the same. Yeah. Okay. Just think of the, the, you know, hardcore computer users, your programmers, uh, data entry, all of the people who really do a lot of input devices, they get a lot of their feedback from the, you know, the actual tactile response of the the keyboarding surface. So what about you if the smart mat... From, well, from a touchpad. Well, what if they integrated or in the next version brought out some tactile response? Would, would that maybe solve it? Well, but then you would be adding some significant expense to it because you'd have to have individual tactile response for every position of a key. But then to retain its overall touch surface, how would you have that as a touch surface being able to then go into graphics and you know swiping and pinching and doing all of the other gesture sorts of things with a tactile response? You're either going to have to have a pad with many different modes with a hell of a lot of tiny little hardware in there. <laughs> that is going to cost an awful lot of money. Well, that's true. Now, speaking of price, by the way, it you know, I was surprised. I thought this thing would cost a lot. Now, it does cost more than your average PC, obviously, but it's only it 1900 US. <laughs> well, uh, 1900 US isn't for, for that, for something that's fairly new. US, yeah. 1900, we're talking 1900 US for a desktop PC. Yeah. That is like twice the price of a moderate to higher end. Oh, yeah, I realize that. But, you know, look at the, the new tech you're getting. I thought that was okay for for, yeah. a, for an entry, you know. I mean, mm, I, I still uh, don't think it's going to be something that mm, takes off mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's got a lot of niche potential, mm. uh, but I don't think it's a, it, it's a mainstream one. Yeah. I, okay. I, <laughs> well, uh, but I think I I think yeah, it's got a lot of potential in specific niches, but it is not something that you will see in your everyday person's home. Okay, what about in the area of uh, adaptive technology? Could that be helpful as adaptive technology? Mm, somewhat, somewhat. Uh, could do, but there are a lot of keyboard alternatives. If we're talking just pure input device, there are a heck of a lot of keyboard alternatives. And most keyboard alternatives are for people who have significant loss of dexterity, whereas a big touch-sensitive pad is for especially something that is placed directly in front of the desktop PC with the camera pointing down on it is for someone with small dexterity. 
What about the ability to create, you know, creative uh, uses, yeah, either two D or three D? Could that could that help people who who perhaps would struggle oh, yeah. with the keyboard? The, the ability to rapidly import objects and physical designs into the computer and then have them reprojected out so that you can create an artwork based off them. Uh, that's cool. Well, I was thinking for people with disabilities, but in the creative space, perhaps that could be useful? Well, it, it, then you're talking about it in the same creative space as, as a person without a disability. Right, okay. Because mm. right. <laughs> if you're talking about it, about key, if you're talking about this being technology to replace the keyboard and mouse for a person with an impairment, the most of the technology that is built around replacing the keyboard and mouse for people with impairments who need to replace the keyboard and mouse, a, a, a big touchpad is not going to be a replacement either because it still requires dexterity. And it's mostly impairments that impact on the dexterity of the person, which require the alternative systems. Again, though, I think perhaps... You and know, also, we, ergonomically, it'd probably be pretty bad. Yeah, okay. It's a flat surface. Right, so the other, the other area that I think this could work, and I think we talked about this for... What was the other thing we talked about last week? Um, HoloLens. HoloLens, that's right. In education. I can yeah. say in research and education, I can see this being, a, you know, maybe combine it with HoloLens. Wow, that'd be cool. Definitely in sorts of <laughs> education, you would be able to have systems where you could have the students bring in different objects or items and put them on, on the, the pad and it will then, you know, scan them, bring them in and then project them and then you could then, you know, use the pad to manipulate the, the different pictures and those sorts of things. But that requires a lot of software to be developed around it. Oh, yeah. And it's still doing something which you could already do with technology that already exists out there. Because, like I said, the, the technology in this particular system, there's nothing new. It's just been all put together into APC. Mm. All right, I'll try and bring in this uh, second story once again. Let's talk about Apple. iCloud beta. Um, iCloud's been around for a while and the iWork apps have been there for quite a while. Yeah. However, there's one small change that's been announced. If you go to beta.icloud.com, anyone can sign up and give it a will. Free. Yeah, but why would you trust information to iCloud anyway? <laughs> to any cloud storage. Well, I, I, I know, yeah. Well, <laughs> but, I mean, there, there are some business, things. I wouldn't. Yeah, there are some things, though, that, that it wouldn't matter. It depends what it is, you know. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. But um, I take your point. The thing is, um, as I say, up until now, you've, you've had to have uh, signed up or obtained an Apple account either through the use of iTunes because you're purchasing something or because you own an iDevice and you've activated your device. So now the difference is you can get iCloud uh, or at least iWorks in the cloud, free. Give it a whirl. I mean, it's it's not as fully featured so as, as I, Microsoft I really don't products. Know. But so what is the change here? Because you've always been able to, you know, Apple, the iCloud beta requires you to have an Apple ID. Always. It's always required you to have an Apple ID. Yep. So what's the, what's the difference? Is it now that you can get it for free? Uh, no, no, it was always free. I've been using it for a long time. The difference oh, is... What's the difference? Because you still need an Apple ID and you can get an Apple ID just by signing up for an Apple ID on apple.com. Uh, yes, but I, you, if, you, if I remember right... You, you, you never need needed to, to buy an Apple device to get an Apple ID. But don't you, if you do it through, like, say, iTunes, for example, you'll need a, a, a credit card, won't you? No. 
I have never put a credit card detail into iTunes ever. But did you set up an Apple ID through iTunes? Yeah. Okay. All you have wow. to do is buy one of the $10 iTunes gift cards. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, you could do it that way. Yeah. <laughs> so have you logged in? Have you tried, I mean, have you tried not beta, but have you tried iCloud, proper iCloud? No, no. You know me in, in cloud storage. Yeah, but, yeah, I yeah, but like to play, it. no, I, okay, fine. You, you, you probably never will <laughs> from a production point of view, but for playing around, have you never given it a whirl? Nah. It, it has no impact on me. I have fully functional apps on all of my devices. I don't need a less functional app online. It'd be like me sitting at my computer right now and going, you know, I have the entire office suite right there, full versions of everything. Or I could log on to my web browser and use a browser-based version. Mm. Why? What's well, the point? Uh, well, I mean, I've, I'll tell you what I've used it for. I could go share. to my phone and go, oh, I want to use a word processor on my phone. Oh, wait, I actually have pages on my phone. Yeah, but it's really handy to share, say, a document. Like I remember when I was organizing pizza for the office and, uh, yeah, and, and people would say what? click share and click email to the people you want to share no, it to. No, 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 no. But this is in the cloud where they get a link to an always live copy. That's a very, it's a very yeah. different use case. See, so, I don't share any documents like that because the people I share with are all connected to the same network. Okay, all right. Now, look, Brett, look, Brett, <laughs> so I'm going to share the, anything with any of the people There's here. obviously something in my different. House, they're because all the, the same co- network. I can just put it on share. So from, I, I'm not a good use case for using the cloud. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure there are people out there who are good use cases for working in the cloud. So, Brett, there's definitely something that's new because, uh, as I say, it says that the comment at the top when you go to beta.icloud.com is now anyone can use pages, numbers, and keynote for iCloud, create your free Apple ID and get started today. So, so I mean, I, I still don't get what's new about how. What was the restriction before that? Well, I'm I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you ID. must have. I'm pretty sure you had to have created your Apple ID either through an iDevice or through iTunes with a credit card or with a voucher, which means you have engaged with Apple in some way, as opposed to just going to a website which is what it is now. That's my understanding. I don't recall seeing anything when I first installed iTunes to say put in a credit card number. Yeah, but you had a voucher, didn't you? Yeah, which I loaded after I'd created it. Oh, I okay. Buy something. The, the question is, is would that Apple account or Apple ID account be enough or would, have that, would that have been enough to give you access to iCloud? Because obviously you need an Apple ID, but does everyone, the question is, does everyone who has, has an Apple ID have iCloud? And, and that's what I'm not sure about. Well, everyone who has Apple ID has the ability to get iCloud. Well, they do now. Was that always the case? No, I'm pretty sure the instant they brought in iCloud. I know my every time my phone has updated its OS, it has gone, hey. Ah, but you see, you, you own a device. That's my point. This is my yeah, point. So, but someone who who's never owned a device but created an, an Apple ID. Ah, just a blank Apple ID. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe would they maybe have that had iCloud. That's, maybe that's blank not, Apple IDs that did not have a device attached to them weren't able to have iCloud. That's what I'm wondering. That, seem, that seems stupid too. That'd be wow. why would why would they have created a cloud service and then shoot themselves in the foot by only restricting it to people within their devices? 
I don't know. Maybe we every need other to, cloud service opens it up <laughs> to everybody. I don't know. We we maybe we need to get Apple uh, PR on the show. <laughs> There's just not enough information about this thing in this thing other than saying, well, Apple made this available. Well, it's like, how well about why this? was it not available before? Well, how about we invite Apple PR on the show? How about that? <laughs> we'll give it a whirl, eh? They can tell us what the strategy there is. What was <laughs> yeah. the difference? Okay, I don't, we'll do I don't get it. Okay, we'll do that. Brett, I want to end the show there. Well, at least the international section. When we come back, the New Zealand section, don't go away. Hey, welcome back. Now, if you're a Vodafone customer and you try to call their customer service centre yesterday, yesterday being Monday, you would have failed because a fibre was severed in Penrose and uh, for several hours, Vodafone could not answer their, you know, their call centre, the call centre calls weren't coming through. They couldn't help you on either the 0800, the 0508 number or by calling 777 or 888. Wow. So there was no redundancy for the fibre. It appears not. Only one fibre was going in or out of that area and exactly. they had no redundancy. Here's the thing I don't what understand. What is with the phone system? I, I know, thought they were well, supposed to be building well, here's redundancy. Here's the thing I don't understand. They are a mobile phone company. Surely they can get their calls through a mobile method, you'd have Indeed. Thought. You know? <laughs> Root them through the, you know, GSM network. Indeed. But I would have thought that their, their fixed line would have had more redundancy than everything going through a single cable. Yeah, look, the question is, I, who owns that cable? I'm not sure whether it's their cable because it's Victor was the, the were the people who had to to uh, uh, you know patch up the fibre. So, yeah, so, uh, so it's probably Victor's cable. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know whether it's within Vodafone's control. Well, obviously not. But you would expect Victor, the lines company, to have some redundancy with their systems. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah. For it to take out an entire section with one fibre cut, unless the fibre was like directly outside the building and it was like the fibre that comes out of the building into. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think Vodafone are in Penrose, are they? Mm, are in, uh, I've seen them. I've seen the building. Where? trying to think what's that. It's fairly close to the city, is, is it not, if I remember right? And also they've got the one on the North Shore. Uh, in fact, I think their call centre is on the North Shore, is it not? You know that the, the what was some, uh, something farm. Remember when Telstra Clear bought that oh, something yeah. farm, uh, mm. whatever it was called. I think that's. I think they're still operating out of there, and the corporate offices uh, I think are in in the inner city. So I don't think either of them are in Penrose. So that rules that one out. Hmm. So anyway, there you go. There were some uh, people commenting on that on Twitter. Yeah. Hmm. Why did it have such a significant impact? Well, the contra- it was a contractor who accidentally severed the cable and also uh, well, it's damaged... A, it's always a contractor <laughs> accidentally severing a cable. It is, eh? Hey. <laughs> uh, and he also damaged a uh, a gas pipe and, and there was some... What the know, hell was the contractor doing? Oh, going crazy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> he had one of those concrete saws and was just going, oh, we'll use this to cut through all of the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> no, those, those, those would be a lot deeper, so there would have been a digger, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, exactly. How does ah, that happen? Ah, yes, diggers. Mm. But even so, Brett, uh, even so. Yeah, how- even so, there's supposed to be maps and things which detail mm. where everything is. Well, you know, here's a little story. When I, I laid a new, um, or I, I dug a trench to get a new water main uh, installed at, at my property, and to do that, I had to go across telecommunication lines and the main power lines, the, the you know, buried cable, power cables for the street. 
And I had to go through a process where they come out and they map it with, you know, spray paint and so on. And not only that, but when uh, it came to digging near the, uh, what was it, the, I think it was the telecoms, the telecommunication lines, the fibre, I had to be supervised by the lines company. They they, had to, they came in and they watched over me as I gently scraped away the clay and got deeper and deeper. Did you pass them the shovel and go, well, since you're here, you can help? Well, eh, <laughs> yeah, I probably should have. I should have got them to do some. But no, they, they just stood there watching and, you know, um, yeah. I was doing everything right, which is great. <laughs> I didn't – and. Needless to say, we didn't hit the lines. They they were they were meant to be deeper than I was going, and they and they were. So that's that, that was good news. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so there you go. That's uh, just a little story for the New Zealand section. And uh, now that we've done that, we can end episode three hundred and seventeen. Kidoki. It's been a blast. Thank you very much for co-hosting, Brad. Always a pleasure. Fantastic stuff. See you all again next week. Have a good one. Goodbye. And just across the other side of the city, over a Skype link, I am joined by my co-host, Brad King. Howdy, hi. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. <laughs> you Yep. Ah, I'll do that bit again.